Substance, make some noise. You did it, you made it to church, and you're gonna be so glad you did because we are starting a brand new dating, marriage, and parenting series. It's called First Comes Love, and I, I you know, we, we named this series because I, I remember back when I was a kid on the playground, uh, maybe some of you might remember this too, but whenever you wanted to tease that one friend for liking that one person, you always repeated this little poem. Come on, you remember it, just to jog your memory. It goes something like, Peter and Carolyn sitting in a tree, K-I-S-S-I-N-G, First comes love, then comes marriage, then comes the baby in the baby carriage, sucking his thumb, peeing his pants, doing a hula hula dance. Because we all know that is exactly how it happens. I mean, that just summed it up. And of course, if your friends chanted this poem, over someone you actually did like. It was embarrassing, but you secretly liked it. Am I right? You know what I'm saying? Because you could kind of laugh it off and be like, ha, ha, ha. They were just kidding. But seriously? <laughs> just saying, you know, there's a tree. I'm just saying. <laughs> you know what I mean? But for real, I, okay, how many of you are here today and you're not married, but you hope to be someday. Raise your hand. Just raise them up really, really high. All of our campuses, raise them up high. If you're single, you want to be married someday at all of our campuses, just leave them up, okay? Leave them up. Now, if you would, just go around, look around the room and scan for your options. Just go shopping right now, okay? Just see, that lucky person just might be right there, and you... And, and, and hey, listen, if something magical happens, you owe me. I'm just saying. <laughs> now, now, the rest of you, you can put your hands down. Now, the rest of you, how many of you are married? Lift your hands up in the air. Come on, raise them up if you're already married. How many of you would want to trade them in for another one? <laughs> yeah, some of you were like, no, honey, I was worshiping. I was, I was worshiping. <laughs> just joking. I just wanted to get you there. Now, but for real, okay, I, marriage, marriage can get a little complicated every now and again. And I, I think whether you're married or not married, I think we need to learn how to get into the complication of it all. I mean, to be honest, whether you're married or not, all intimacy will inevitably lead to conflict. Am I right? In fact, actually, intimacy is forged through Conflict, And so if you're a person who doesn't like conflict, well, you know, either you can choose intimacy through conflict or you can choose no intimacy, right? I, I just, I was thinking about like my wife and I, believe it or not, we started dating. We've spent almost every day of the last 32 years together. It's almost hard to believe that we've been together that long. And early on, I got to admit, we had some pretty dramatic fights. I'm not gonna lie, I'm not gonna exaggerate. We were feisty. I'm not gonna say some of the things that we did in some of our fights. We were stubborn and we'd have these four hour fights that probably could have been 15 minutes. You know what I'm saying? 
But, uh, you know, and then early on, thankfully, we actually discovered, uh, like, Myers-Briggs personality tests, things like Enneagram. We, we found books. We, there was actually a Myers-Briggs book that could predict your top five fights statistically based on your Myers-Briggs combination, which was pretty radical, okay? Because, like, when we read them, I was shocked. I mean, we were shocked. It's just like, how could a book like this know that? Like, how does it know that? Like, it's been, you know, it's like a, almost like a fly on the wall. And, and, you know, but it was a big light bulb moment for us because, you know, what we realized is that until we understand and validate that there are people that see things from different perspectives, and until we can even validate other personalities, you're always going to waste precious time trying to get others to think like you, to use the same tactics that you use, which, you know, but from that point on, we learned, hey, we don't have to see eye to eye in order to walk hand in hand, right? I mean, let's stop wasting all of our time trying to chisel one another into our own image to try to think alike. Instead, let's just fast forward about three and a half hours of fighting in order to think together. We don't have to think alike in order to think together. And almost immediately after we started, you know, just really learning about tools like these, our four-hour fight simmered down to like 30-minute intense fellowship, if I could say it that way. <laughs> and don't get me wrong, when we're still overtired, it's not good. But I, I'm just saying, you know, what's crazy about the fact, uh, just what's crazy about Carolyn and I as a couple is we are so different. I mean, we truly, truly, truly are different. Different hobbies, different sense of humor, different preferences on so many things. But it's crazy how much we've learned how to anticipate each other's needs and accommodate each other. Not because it's natural, not because we ever naturally fought on the same wavelength, because that never happened. But I think that we, we, we negotiated it out and we had an intimacy and a joy that we uncovered that to be honest, I never knew it was even possible, and if I could even be more vulnerable, I, very few of the joys that I'm experiencing today are things that I would have even valued in my 20s. I mean, it's almost kind of shocking how we all stumble into marriage, and, and I'm looking back on things that I'm like, man, things that I appreciate about my wife that I never really thought about in the shopping phase, if you know what I mean, but... Uh, let's be honest, there's a lot of marriages who never get to what I'm talking about, and I've seen it. I think about how, you know, even after 30 years of being married to this lady, or almost 30 years, I, you know, I figured out why, and this is going to be a little deep for a second, but stick with me, because here it is, it, it's going to be worth it, Okay. Two ideas that I just want to plant in your brain today, two little ideas that I want to give inception to are this. First off, all intimacy and proximity will inevitably, inevitably lead to conflict when it comes to healthy human beings. You just get in a car and do a long road trip, proximity. It's going to cause fighting, okay? Intimacy and proximity will inevitably lead to conflict. And some of you are like, well, that's not very profound, Pastor Peter. But okay, just follow me here, okay? Idea number two, conflict will either cause growth in healthy people or regression in unhealthy people. Okay, that conflict, if the conflict is good and you actually negotiate to the next level and you're free of personality disorders and you deal with your awkward, I like to call it, it's going to cause growth 
in healthy couples. But, but actually, conflict will cause regression. It'll actually make you stop growing. It'll actually cause you to reverse grow, okay? For example, just stick with me, okay? Lifelong monogamous marriage is probably the most intense type of relationship that a person could ever experience on earth, more than parent-child, more than any other business relationship. I mean, it naturally demands the highest level of time and commitment compared to any other relationship, okay? And let me just prove it to you for a second, okay? First off, uh, a lifelong monogamous marriage is a big time commitment, right? Because it's called lifelong, okay? And more than, you're gonna spend more time with your spouse than you will with your kids, it's, and then it's lifelong, right? Okay, so that's, that's a big commitment time-wise. Monogamy is also a big uh, physical and emotional commitment, if that makes sense, okay? And when you combine time, proximity, intimacy, and commitment, let's be honest, it's gonna get intense, okay? It's gonna hold a mirror to some of your greatest flaws, some of your greatest insecurities, it's gonna cause the other person to say at some point, wow, you have some undiagnosed mental health issues. You know what I'm saying? It's gonna cause them to say, wow, I didn't see how many mommy and daddy issues you have. I didn't know, you're a little weirder than I realized, and vice versa. Okay, I just, um, you know, the older I get, if I could be truly honest, the more I think, wow, Peter, you are a weird and gross human being. <laughs> you should be glad that Carolyn still chooses to be with you. And so once again, all intimacy and proximity will lead to conflict, okay? And conflict will either cause growth in healthy people or regression in unhealthy people. Now, I say this because right now in the United States, the average American couple, the average American concept of marriage has actually seen a lot of regression over the past 30 years. In fact, get this, this is one of the more, I mean, this isn't even the, the current stat, it's actually worse than this now, but nearly 70% of married men and 60% of married women have affairs right now in the United States. That's the current stat. Just stop and feel the pain of that for a second. Just stop and feel the betrayal of that, the impact on trust, okay? So, and the pain of infidelity is just one little tiny slice of regression because there's also, unfortunately, the pain of abuse and there's a million things that could occur with abuse. There's a million addictions, that the pain of addiction, the pain of apathy. Uh, to be honest, for a lot of people, the pain of regression, all these types of experiences are probably so intense that a lot of people are starting to ask the question, hey, you know what, is, is lifelong monogamous marriage even possible? Is that even realistic? And maybe that entire concept is the problem, right? Making us feel like it's a, an unattainable standard. Maybe, maybe I simply need to embrace non-intimacy or pretend to embrace non-intimacy. Pretend that lust has no side effects. But, the, but unfortunately, it does, okay? And there's a lot of biology and physiology and research that proves it, despite how many people try to convince themselves of the opposite, okay? Get this, science shows 
that sexual intimacy releases something called oxytocin, uh, a chemical in our brain that actually increases social bonding, it increases empathy, and it increases the emotion of trust. It is a chemical that is a natural byproduct of sexual intimacy. Unfortunately, it will increase trust where trust is not merited and should not be trusted. Does that make sense? In other words, it increases emotions with the wrong people, and, and then it's squandered on, you know, on, on circumstances that actually are not trustworthy. Even Listen, even if you don't know the Bible or believe the Bible, we can't just pretend that these biological facts don't exist because they do, okay? We can't just dismiss marriage, this idea of marriage as a social construct because there's, there's a crazy amount of biological data that actually created that idea in the first place, physiological phenomenon that actually matter here when we're talking about this topic, not just what God's word says, but hey, what does your body say about this? And I, I say this because it doesn't matter what kind of relationship you choose, intimacy and proximity will inevitably still force you to confront the basic facts of the universe. And, and let me just say it a different way. Conflict will either cause growth in healthy people. I really do believe that, that if, if we learn about this stuff, it can actually lead to intimacy, ecstasy, and legacy. And, and yet, it could also lead us to regression in unhealthy people, leading to pathology that just means simply sickness, some sort of sick decision-making process, sensuality and infidelity. And, and, and instead, I think a lot of people in the world, they, they feel bad about it and they just say, let's just, you know, let's just call it reality, which is actually kind of true without God involved. If you don't have God involved in your life, to be honest, I don't, I don't, I mean, there isn't as good as it gets. There is a ceiling. And, but I bring that up because ultimately, I don't think the problem is the construct that God created for marriage. I don't think the problem is lifelong monogamous marriage. I think the real question is, is are both people healthy enough to embrace the plan of God? And it does take two in order to do it. And even then, even if you're open to the plan of God, it doesn't mean that we have a consistent connection with the Holy Spirit to actually consistently make those types of decisions. Because let's be honest, even healthy people don't have the power to turn the intensity into intimacy. Are you hearing me, right? And I, I'm saying this because at some point, my wife and I had to make decisions. Are we going to let God into this? and give us desires that we don't naturally have? That is really the fundamental question that I think every human has to ask when it comes to marriage, because the truth is I don't have the power to turn this intensity into intimacy, and you don't either. That's what the Bible teaches. In fact, get this. This is kind of humbling to think about, but I think it's realistic. It's rare right now in the United States for any marriage to last longer than 15 years. It, 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 is the, it is the minority for any marriage to last longer than 15 years. More than 50% of Americans will have a failed attempt 
at lifelong monogamy, which at the very least is evidence that, hey, something is broken. And, and I don't think the, 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 what's broken is the concept God put forth in scripture. I think it's the way that we understand it. It's the way that we interpret it. It's the way that we practice it. And I think it's broken even in the church for Christians, okay? So just, but think of it this way, okay? Imagine if the news reported that, that uh, like a, a forecast on bear attacks, okay? Now, I know this is an absurd thing and would never happen in real life. But just imagine with me, you're watching, instead of the weather forecast, you're watching the bear attack, uh, a bear attack forecast. And you're on the evening news, they say, yeah, it's really gonna be a bad day for bears tomorrow or for humans, really, actually, because tomorrow we are reporting an extremely bad bear attack. There's gonna be a lot of grizzly bears, a lot of Kodiaks, a lot of black bears, and, and there's a 50% chance your children will be mauled by a bear on the way to the bus stop. What are you gonna do the next day? If that's you, what are you gonna do? There's a 50% chance of your kid encountering a hungry bear at the bus stop. Okay, chances are you're not gonna just sit down, kiss him at the door and say, goodbye, love you, run fast. <laughs> Good luck. Okay, you're not gonna do that, right? You're either gonna drive them to school yourself, right? Or you're gonna put on a very large suit of armor, right? Some of y'all are gonna go out with your rifles and your kids are gonna be in their full hockey gear. I mean, this is Minnesota. Some of y'all are crazy. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, it, but you're gonna do something, right? You're not gonna just say, oh, I guess those odds are what they are. You know what I'm saying? Or, or maybe change the metaphor. Imagine if, the, you know, the chance of a car wreck was more than 50%. What do you think is gonna happen? You probably won't go to work, right? I mean, why? Because those are terrible odds. Listen to me. I, you know, I've officiated so many weddings over the years. In fact, we, we, we had so many young people at Substance, I had to stop officiating weddings because it would have been like two or three a weekend for a while. And I, I just, you know, I, I, you know, none of them stand at that altar thinking they're gonna, you know, th th this isn't gonna work for another 15 years. You know what I'm saying? And yet, that's the, those are the facts. There's a 60 to 70% chance of infidelity based on the current American lifestyle, and that is true even in the church. And so you know what it tells me? It tells me that you and I have to live a radically different lifestyle in order to end up on the better side of those stats. It says that status quo is not good enough for us. And so the good news today is this, okay? I'm gonna give you both scriptural proof as well as statistical proof that you can be the exception to these stats. And actually, there are some very predictable and simple habits that correlate with healthy marriages, and they're not even hard to do, and yet so few do them. And yet you guys have the opportunity to do that. But first, if you have your Bibles, why don't you turn with me to Matthew 22, verse 37. We're just gonna hit kind of a classic Bible verse. In the context, there's a, there's a brilliant Pharisee that is asking Christ the question, what is the greatest commandment? What is the greatest? I don't wanna hear just, you know, what's a good, what's your favorite Bible verse, Jesus? Okay, like, no, he's asking Jesus the question, what is the greatest commandment, okay? Of all the commandments, the nuggets of wisdom, which of these is most transformational, fundamental, is life-altering, okay? And, and Jesus replied, love the Lord God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. 
And then of course he, he says the second one is love your neighbor as yourself. Okay, now if you want everything else in your life to operate as God intended it, you've gotta understand God has to be first. Love the Lord God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. What would that look like if someone was to say, with your time, are you doing that? With your money, are you doing that? With your marriage, are you doing that? With your kids, are you doing that? You see, you kind of get the idea is when you change it from category to category with your physical body, are you doing that? You see, I, I think if we really want everything else in our lives to function as God intended it, we've gotta put God first. And in our culture, we always use this expression when it comes to the opposite sex or like in romance films, you know, is she the one? You know, you've heard that before, right? Is she the one? Is he the one? Did you find the one? Oh my gosh, did you smell his cologne? He's so cute. Oh my gosh, he could be the one. Okay, listen, the Bible says that God has to be the one. Okay, God is the one. He is the one. Now, just once I'd love to hear a Christian say, man, did you see that girl? Man, she, she could be the two. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Why? Because that's technically how it's supposed to work. That's technically how it's supposed to work. In my, okay, in my experience, a lot of people, they kind of see dating like it's a hunt. You know what I'm saying? And once you find the one, you stalk your prey, and then you take your shot, and hopefully you're, it's done. You know what I'm saying? You put a ring on it. You know what I'm saying? Now, the Bible says that actually God is supposed to be the ultimate hunt. He is the end destination. Your spouse is nothing more than a co-adventurer or, you know, the way that I like to talk to guys about it, it's a hunting partner, okay? So, and, and so a lot of people get confused, right? Because after they get married, they're like, oh, but pastor, I thought, I thought he was supposed to just fulfill me and rapture me. No, that's God's job, okay? That, he was never gonna do that. Let me just tell you something, honey. No, I think I married the wrong person. No, what you need is a tighter relationship with the Lord because only God can fulfill you. Your spouse is your co-adventurer, okay? When I, when I think about my wife, Carolyn, uh, over the years, we've been on so many God-adventurers. I, I think, you know, when we first became um, really, when we became best friends, it wasn't exactly the healthiest situation. It wasn't, you know, and, and, and I... But we found the Lord together and we went on that great and glorious call that he has for us. And along the call, we went through a lot of hairstyles. Can I just say that too? Okay, so, uh, so right after we got married, this was us. And uh, you know, I had, wow, Goldilocks, look at that, right? I don't know if I could repeat that again, but uh, so this was literally right after we got married. And then, you know, about a year after that, we decided, hey, let's go into full-time ministry. And we took our first youth pastorate. And I didn't particularly like kids, but I thought, okay, we'll get used to this. We wanna, we wanna follow the Lord. And of course, this was right after we became youth pastors. <laughs> This is from our church directory. Remember those days? Church directories? We should bring it back. Huh? No, for real. Young people, the internet was still made out of paper, okay? And it was called a church directory. The problem with it is you couldn't delete that. There was no undo that kind of post, you know what I'm saying? There's an entire church of people that still have that picture of me. I don't know, she, Carolyn looks like an acorn and I look like a, 
a weird guy from Lord of the Rings. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't know. Like, it's, it's a couple years later, I, somehow I ended up taking over that at church as the first, uh, my first lead pastorate. You can see I'm now, I had to get a haircut, right? So, uh, and Carolyn has that nice little blonde streak. It's just so awesome. Um, but, you know, I had to wear a suit and, and yeah, I had to cut my hair. And yes, I also had to do a staff Christmas card. I did grow a goatee for Jesus right there. Oops, nope, right there. What I love is that little, I had that hemp choker. Those were really in style for a hot minute, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, I did grow a goatee for Jesus. Uh, you know, a lot of people gave their lives to Christ because of that, or at the very least could relate to me more in central Wisconsin. But I, I just, listen, then Carolyn here, you know, with the short hair, it's just awesome. You gotta love it, you know what I'm saying? And then, and then after all this, though, we took the ultimate plunge and we planted substance. Come on, somebody. <laughs> You guys so stressed me out that I just ate food every night. And uh, both Carolyn and I did go through a phase where both of us individually went and gained 40 pounds and, and stayed there for a couple years, okay? So, uh, you know, we had three kids on top of that. And, uh, you know, there were phases where we just fell off the fashion train. You know, the train had left the station and we were running. We were chasing that train down. It felt like 100 miles away at times, but you know, you know, can I just tell you something? Those of you who are in that minivan phase and you're depressed right now, you know what I'm saying? You know who you are. Your self-esteem is at an all-time low. Listen, for real, never underestimate your ability to reinvent yourself, okay? You feel like it's hopeless, okay? I'm just saying... You feel, never underestimate, because listen, I'm just saying, I look at us now, I'm not gonna lie, we glowed the heck up. I mean, we put some hot sauce back in that cupboard, you know what I'm saying? We ate and we left no crumbs, as the young people say. You know, for real though, I, I, you know what's funny is I, I just, I wanna encourage you, listen, wherever you're at, all marriages do go through rough pass, uh, pa like patches. I, and I wanna just, I wanna normalize that, okay? All marriages are gonna go through seasons where attraction is gonna be cyclical. All people, all humans are gonna expand and contract with time, okay? They can contract again. All people are gonna go through rough moments where, listen, but, but when, here's, here's the point though. When God is the true adventurer and the calling that he has on your life is something that you have devoted your heart to, mind, soul, and spirit, okay? It takes the pressure off of your awkward phases in your marriage, Okay, why? Because she is not the adventurer and I am not the adventurer. We are the co-adventurers with a captivating God. Only God can truly captivate us. And that is why King David wrote, my soul finds rest in God alone. My soul finds rest in God alone. God himself is the only thing that will consistently satisfy you. 
I can promise you that. And so if things are discontenting, if things are not what you want them to be in your relationship with your spouse, listen, that's okay. There's gonna be an ebb and flow there as long as you're nurturing and dating that relationship, continuing to date your spouse, that those emotions will come around again. And remember, this was written by a king in an era where it was acceptable for him to have hundreds of wives. He had some of the mo- he, he was married to some of the most beautiful people on the earth, and yet even they did not satisfy him. And what does that tell you? He had everything, money, and it didn't satisfy him. Spouses, it didn't satisfy him. Prestige, it wasn't enough. His soul, even he said his soul finds rest in God alone. And so listen, single people, if you're looking for a spouse, if you're looking for someone who is eternally interesting, not gonna happen, only God can do that, right? If you're looking for someone who can read your mind, once again, only God can do that. At the end of the day, here's really the question that you need to be thinking about if you're looking for a spouse. Who do you want next to you on your worst day ever? Who do you want next to you on your worst day ever? You want someone that is gonna be next to you who can pursue the call of God with all their heart, with all their soul, with all their mind, and can encourage you to pursue the Lord as well. Do they demonstrate a lifestyle of that? And especially when it comes to his word, his church, and his spirit, okay? Because when it comes to putting God first, these are the, the, this is the big three that the Bible constantly harps on is do they demonstrate a lifestyle of prioritizing God's word, God's church, God's spirit? Not do they call themselves a Christian, not do they raise their hands in worship, not do they have Christian speech. It means do they have a lifestyle, a habit of prioritizing three things, his word, his church, his spirit. And, and, and you know, you, you, when it comes to time, when it comes to finances, when it comes to all, just emotion, dreaming, and here's how you know, okay? The Bible does give several clear ideas of how you know. Well, Joshua 1.8, do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. And then everybody say this, then you will be prosperous and successful. I don't know about you, those are two good sounding words. Well, how do we get there? Well, start memorizing God's word, meditate on it day and night, okay? So have a commitment to his word, the Bible says, right? Another thing, have a commitment to his church. Do not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. It's easy to give up meeting. It's easy to say, I don't need a small group. No, all of us need a small group. All of us need people that we can confess our sins to outside of our spouses. There is no spouse on earth that can handle the weight of all of your emotions. Unfortunately, that's kind of the situation that's stressing out most marriages. In fact, there was a study done on on confidants. Uh, Like three, four decades ago, the average person had several confidants outside of their marriages that they could share their burdens with. Now, the average person only has like 0.5. It's their spouse, okay? And it's adding all this additional stress on this relationship because nobody has outside relationships anymore because we, we don't, we're not a social culture the same way that we used to be. We're so busy and, and we do a lot of socially isolating 
entertainment options. And so, you know, it, but it wasn't really any different throughout history. Don't give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching, the day when the Lord returns. In other words, prioritize God's church, prioritize that fellowship, prioritize that encouragement, have a commitment to his word, have a commitment to his church. And last but not least, Ephesians 5.18, do not get drunk with wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the spirit of God. The Greek word translated be filled means continually in an ongoing fashion filled with the Holy Spirit. It's not a one-time event, it's a daily event, okay? Be continually filled with his Holy Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord, okay? So you have a lifestyle of constant worship. You're always, you're, you're literally making up songs to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, okay? So in some ways, it's kind of like that Old Testament verse where you're never letting the word of God depart from your lips, except you're just saying the word of God plus, oh, let's just sing songs, okay? A lot of times, the reason why we do the songs that we do here at Substance is because a lot of them have really catchy choruses. I want these lyrics to kind of just get lost in your heart, where you're just, you know, when you're walking around. I want, I want the meditations of your heart to be encouragement. And some of you are like, well, you know, some of those songs drive me nuts. Well, find ones that don't. You know what I'm saying? Just again, like just get it in you. I, I just, the, in fact, get this. There's actually a lot of academic studies that actually prove all of these Bible verses are in fact true. That, that, that demographics of the United States that do these precise things have higher outcomes that nobody else has. Okay, get this. I thought this was kind of fascinating. One of the largest and most comprehensive studies ever done on sexual satisfaction happened at the University of Chicago, and they found that Christians who attend church once a week or more have the highest sexual satisfaction, both in terms of intensity and frequency, I'm not even gonna unpack that because man, it gets really embarrassing, of any demographic in the entire United States. Okay, think about that. And they go, they, it is so detailed, it is embarrassing, but it is also undeniable that, and, and women that attend church twice a week, woo! <laughs> just saying, I'm just saying, that'll get you into our newcomers class, but I, I just, <laughs> sorry, I, you know, shouldn't have said that, but it's true. Okay, it, it uh, and, and by the way, I posted all the links to this kind of stuff on my website. If you just put like Peter Haas and uh, University of Chicago or Peter Haas plus Fix Me, it has all this data that I'm quoting to you today. Okay, same thing occurred on Bible reading. Get this, okay? Um, people who read the Bible for four or more days a week sig were significantly less likely to struggle with pornography, extramarital affairs, alcoholism, or gambling addictions. Okay, but only for people that were reading it for four or more days. The moment they dropped below four days a week to like three or less, they almost had no uh, difference than the general population. Same thing with church attendance. The moment somebody attended church less than once a week, like they, every other, they, had, they actually had the worst sexual satisfaction of any demographic, okay? So ironically, Christians had the top slot and Christians had the bottom slot of all religions and all demographics. 
okay? And what was the difference? Every week versus every other week. Four days or more versus three days or less, okay? I'm just saying, maybe God's word is true, all I'm saying, okay? Then there was a Harvard study on divorce asking the question, what are the behaviors that correlate most with divorce or the opposite, the least with divorce? And they found that there was this really weird, there were three habits that had the highest correlation um, with the probability of divorce. And they found that, that, that if these three habits were present in a couple's lives, that it would reduce the probability from around 50% to 0.001% if these three habits were present. And they were this, only one out of 1,246 marriages ended in divorce if a couple prayed together on a regular basis, they read the Bible together, and they attended church together on a regular basis. The ongoing presence of these three criteria, again, reduced the odds of divorce to one out of a thousand. But interestingly about these, uh, they're, they're, not a, they're not an automatic formula, keep in mind, okay? It's not some magic, magical formula. The frequency is actually, the power of these things is actually in the frequency, okay? Because again, anytime a couple would attend church less than once a week or less, read the Bible less than four days, you don't have to read the Bible together every day, but just Bible exposure less than four days, it, it, the stats plummeted, okay? So, and, and here's the truth, okay, church? I'm not trying to oversimplify how marriages work because there's a lot of things that go into a healthy marriage, okay? But all I'm trying to suggest is this. What if what Jesus said all along was true? If you just put his kingdom first and his righteousness, okay? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things that pagans are running after, he said, will be added unto you. In other words, God will chase you down with blessing when you put him first, Listen, man, that sounds good to me because I'm tired. I don't want to run. I want to just pursue the Lord and, and let his blessings pursue me. Now, most people will apply this Bible verse exclusively to material possessions. They think about clothing. They think about houses, money. I believe that this promise goes far beyond material things. There's so many people running after love and the, the feeling of lifelong romance and adventure, they want to believe it exists. Just look at Hallmark Channel. I'm just saying, you know, there, there's people that are longing for this. And yes, I do believe they can exist, but only when God is first, only when your spouse is no longer the adventurer, but the co-adventurer. Only God can fulfill you. And maybe you're here and you're like, yeah, but... Oh, Pastor Peter, my life is already too complicated. It's already too screwed up. No, it is not, okay? Never, never underestimate God's ability to reinvent your life. He can, he does, he does it all the time. And I, I just, I'm telling you, God, we serve a God who loves to take complicated things and make them uncomplicated. And all I'm suggesting, and throughout this series, I'm gonna make this suggestion over and over again, just consider prioritizing a few small habits like the ones that I mentioned. Just get in a small group. Just, hey, make church attendance a regular thing. You know what I'm saying? Just, again, just start learning God's word and start learning how to experience God in prayer. And, and listen, in the coming weeks, I'm gonna prove to you that my wife and I did not get here because of some magical compatibility that we happened to figure out in the shopping phase. Marriages are not built in the shopping phase. They're made, they're forged in the fires of intimacy. 
We both had to allow a lot of things to die in us. We both had to embrace desires that were not natural to us. And we both needed God's help to even apply these things because frankly, I do not have a Godward orientation, nor do you. That's why Jesus had to die for us, to, to help us have the desires that he wants us to have. And that's the beautiful thing is that Philippians 2.13, God is at work within you, helping you want to obey him, helping you to do what he wants. Man, I just could use a little more desire. And I really believe that if you're even remotely open to this God thing today, he can increase your desires just by, just by receiving it right now. Would you do that? Would you just bow your heads, close your eyes? God, there are so many desires we wish we had, but we don't. And yet, Lord, that's why you died for us, because ultimately it was unattainable without your death on the cross. But Lord, you have given us your spirit to enable us to live a life that we could not live on our own. And I just pray over every person that they would not experience any condemnation, any oppression as a result of this message, but they would only see a joy-filled invitation to life. And God, you are giving us that life, regardless of whether or not we're married, whether or not we'll ever be married, Lord. You are giving us life independent of, of any circumstance, and that's from you, Lord. That's because we believe our souls find rest in you alone. And so just, just meet us here today. And, and if you're agreeing with what I'm praying, then just say this after me. Say, dear Jesus, forgive me, renew me, and lead me starting today and for the rest of my life. If you agree with that prayer, say amen. Amen. I promise you, church, we're gonna have some fun over the next couple of weeks. I love you. With all that said, we're gonna have our campus pastors come on up. Tell us where we're gonna go next. Love you guys.